And it says there was a great multitude that followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Now, you, you need to remember that every word that is recorded here in Scripture is the very words of God. It's inspired. It's, it's such that it is exactly what God would have for us to know about him and about these people and about what is taking place so that it would um, tell us the circumstances. There's this great multitude that's following him. Huge multitude that's following him. But the reason that they're following him is because they saw the signs that he performed on those that were diseased. That's why they're going after him. They're going after him because they saw him take people who were lame and make them able to walk or take people who were blind and make them able to see. He took people who had no ability to hear and make it so they had the ability to hear or they had no ability to speak. They were mute and he, he gave them the ability to speak. He took people who were lepers and made them clean. And, and everywhere he's going, as we looked at a few weeks ago, um, everywhere he's going, he's healing people. And so there's this great multitude that's following him. But they're not following him necessarily because they love him. They're not following him because they, they want to learn something. They're not following him because they are treasuring him. They're following him because they saw the signs. They saw what he had done. Well, this had been a long day. Matthew tells us that when Jesus went out, he saw a, a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. And so as there's this great multitude that's coming, Matthew gives us more detail and every gospel account is perfectly in harmony, but it just gives us a little bit more detail and Matthew tells us he, he saw these people and just had compassion on them. This multitude of people, and he just went about them, and, and he just began to heal their diseases. So he's there, the disciples are there with him, and, and a huge multitude's there, and he's ministering to them. Not only that, but Mark tells us that um, multitudes saw, saw that, that Jesus was going there across the 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 Sea of Galilee, and, and they, they ran after him, and they're following him. And uh, in Mark 6, 34, it says, Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. So not only has he been there healing their sick, but he's also teaching them. He's there speaking to them. There's great multitudes that are there, and he's healing them, but he's also teaching them. And it tells us specifically that he saw them as the sheep without a shepherd. They're there, and, they're, and they're, they're following him, but they don't know which way to go. They don't know what's right. They're just wandering, and they have no idea of who it is that they're following. And so he begins to teach them. Chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and he, there he sat with his disciples. Um, we're told in another account that, that Matthew tells us that the disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. Can't we just send them away? You know, you, you get to a place sometimes where you're just exhausted. I mean, I can imagine these disciples, they've been following Jesus everywhere he's going. They're healing. He's healing all kinds of people, teaching them, 
that there, it, it starts out just with such excitement as far as look, another person's been healed, another person's been healed, another person's been healed. And there's all this excitement that's there, and he's teaching, and it's just incredible teaching. And the disciples, like everybody else, are saying things like, no one's ever spoken like this before. And yet, they come to a place of just exhaustion. Can we please send them away? Can you please make them go? They, they don't have food. And can, can we just have them go into some other villages nearby and wherever it is and maybe they could buy food there? But that wasn't the Lord's plan. He goes up on the mountain, sits there with the disciples, says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? The next verse is important for us. Verse 6 says, But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now remember, um, we're told that that there's 5,000 men that are there. That's not counting the women and the children. There's 5,000 men that are at this place, plus all of the women and all the children. More than likely, we're talking about over 20,000 people. And so he sees what would be like a stadium full of people coming towards him. And he says to Philip, where do, where do we, should we buy bread that they may eat? Where do we buy bread? But Jesus specifically tells us that he said this to test him. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Christ knew that this was going to be the time in which he was going to work in miraculous ways and make it so that he was going to multiply the, the loaves and the fish and make it so everybody was going to eat. But before that, he says, where do we buy bread? Now, you look at... Philip's response, and he says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have just a little. We, 200 denarii would be like approximately seven or eight months worth of wages for the average person. He said, if, if, I, if I took a good chunk of my, a typical person's year's salary, it, it's not enough to feed these people to where they even just had a little bit. And so we look at Philip's response. How many times in, in this life do we get placed in circumstances in which we're looking at it going, we can't do it. We, we can't do that. That's not going to be possible. I can't do that. Immediately, Philip looks to his human resources. Where do we buy bread? To feed these people, and Philip's like, I, uh, we don't, I, look at the people. I mean, in his mind, he's just doing the math. That I, I could take eight months' salary, and I, I cannot feed these people. I can't even give them a little bit of bread. He may be looking at the people, there's 20-some thousand, I'm going to divide that by, everybody gets like a little piece of bread. I can't, no, we don't have enough. There's no chance that we could do it. I look, and... and 
he's being tested. God's sovereign. He knows what he's going to do, and yet he's being tested. I've shared this story before, but when I read this particular passage, I'm brought back to this story over and over again because there was a time in which I went into South Sudan, into a little village called Tonj, and we landed in this area. It was an area that was enemy territory as far as, um, well, I'm sorry, it was, it was the rebel territory in South Sudan in the midst of a war that was occurring. It was an area that was like no-fly zone. We weren't allowed in. We went in in such a way that... Um, well, it was, it was against international law because you can't go into an area that the country does not invite you into. But there was a war going on. And these particular people in this region, we heard, were struggling in just incredible ways. So we chartered a flight and took it into this area. And when, when we landed there, I didn't, I, had, I, I didn't know starvation like that took place anywhere in the world today. It was it was in 1998, and and we were there, and there were people just laying in, in the grass by the airstrip, people crawling out there. We asked what they were eating. They were eating grass, and they were eating leaves, things that weren't edible at all. Literally, in, in every hut that we went to, we saw somebody that was just lying there that... I mean, you can see every bone in their body. There's flies covering their faces. We saw four people die in just the first few hours that we were there. And, and I, I was there just looking. And I, they gave me a job of, of handing out these vitamins to the people that were, were there. And, and so we had doctors with us. The doctors were going and doing an assessment of everything that was going on. Um, I had my pastor there that was leading the, the, the group. And... And so they just gave me the job, give this to the women and children. Here's the vitamins. Give them one of each, and pregnant women get this, and here's what the kids get. And so I formed a line. I, I organized things. Like, we're going to have a line here. Everybody's going to get some. And so we had a line. I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people long. Don't worry. There's enough for everybody. And so I'm there, and I'm handing these things out as fast as I possibly can. My line is, like, just continuing to grow. And, and I have my pastor come up to me and just saying, like, we need to go. There's the, the, everybody. The people are dying here. We, we need to bring food. We got to get food in here. And I, I had been told. We, we we asked, are there any planes that could take in large amounts of food to this area? And they said, no. There's nothing that's going to be available for months. Everything's chartered out, and 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 all we have is this little caravan that you guys can take in. And so, in my mind, I'm thinking. There's no, we can't get food in here anyhow. Like, I don't know. We can't get food into this place. And watching these things, I was, I said, I said, can you leave me here? Like, I got my bag, I got my tent, I got, got my water filter, just leave me here. I'll, I told these people they're going to all get the vitamins. Please leave me here. I'll give it to them. And he's like, no, you got to go. And I, I got, I was so mad. I, I honestly, I was just so mad. I'm like, this is ridiculous. We have like, We've only been here for a few hours. Like I could give out all these vitamins to these people, and we're going to go back to Kenya, and we don't even have a plane to bring food in. And so he's like, let's pray. And we prayed, and we called on the radio. Do you guys have any planes that could take in food? And they said, no, there's nothing available for months. And he's like, okay. On that flight back, we called, I don't remember. I think it couldn't have been less than five times back to the place. Is there any planes that can bring in food? 
no, there's nothing for at least a couple months. And I could hear it on the radio, and he's like, let's pray. And we'd pray. And in my flesh, you guys, I was just like, ridiculous. Like, it's embarrassing. They said there's no planes. Like, why are we doing this? We could have been helping them. And, and I was just I was just shaking my head, like, in the back, like, do it again. We're going to pray again. This is ridiculous. We're going to pray again. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, this has got to be like, what is this, like some kind of like name it and claim it thing? Like, I mean, like in my mind, I'm like, this is, why are we doing this? And I could hear them getting more and more frustrated every time we called. No. Listen to us. There are no planes available for several months. And it was like, let's pray. And we'd pray, and my prayer was weak and bitter. And, and we finally landed, and let's pray. And we prayed, and we went up to this little kiosk that's about, you know, 12 by 12, where they rent these planes. Are there any planes available? And we had just called within just a few minutes, and they had said no. And the lady's like, you're not going to believe this, but... Red Cross just called, just now, canceled all their flights. You could have whatever planes you want to take in food. And I was just like, are you kidding? I mean, like, one, I was incredibly convicted, but I, I, I was just praising him for what he did. And we, we went to the first place to get food. Is there any food? And they're like, no, the bridges got washed out. They've been washed out for months. There's no food that we can, you know, bring in. How, how much do you need? And we're like, we need like 10 metric tons. No, there's none. We can't do it. And, and just at that point, I'm like, yeah, we're going to get food. Like somehow or another, we're going to get food. And they're like, yeah, there's one other place. You could ask them, but they have no food either. All the bridges have been washed out. So no one's, there's been no trucks that have been able to get in here. We went to the next place. The guy was locking up. And we're like, hey, do you guys have any food that we could take into Sudan? Well, how much do you need? Ten metric tons. And the guy's like, I just had my truck arrive. I got 10 metric tons of ground maize. I hope that's okay. And we, we walked back. I mean, it was like, it looked like a firework stand, like half the size of a fire. Well, you don't even know what firework stands are, but the, the, some of you do. And, and, and we walked behind, and there's this huge truck filled with 10 metric tons of ground maize. And we just started doing shipments. And we, we had the people sit down in groups and we just began to pour the food into each one. Of, we gave them bags and poured the food. Some of the women just took their dresses like this, and we poured it into their dress. And we went and shared the gospel with each little group of people. And there was at least 5,000 people that we gave food to. And I sat there just thinking about, like, God is able to do anything. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too hard for him. And yet... We get put into another circumstance where, you know, something else will happen. It's like, oh, this is not going to work out well. Immediately, we have a tendency to have small, a small view of him, even though we see him work over and over and over again. And I just, I pray that as we go through this, the Lord will work in our hearts to see, like, please fight hard against that. You see that God already has a plan. He already himself knows what he's going to do. But he says... He says here, where, Philip, where, where should we buy bread that they may eat? The Lord frequently puts people in places in which it looks impossible. You think of the Israelites when they're, they're, they're fleeing 
Egypt and there and where do they land? They're, they're, they're pinned between, you know, the chariots and the army of Pharaoh, all of the Egyptian warriors and the Red Sea. And they're saying, did you bring us here to die? We could have died there. And you look and God just, he like just opens up the water. Opens up the water. They walk through the sea. The Egyptians follow them and just get consumed. And you look and you see on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, Exodus 16, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to him, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Again, it's, you see a similar thing that I might test them. I'm going to provide for them. And you see the grumbling and complaining. I mean, this has been the second month after the sea had opened up and they walked through. I mean, you would think their faith would just be gigantic. And yet they go right back to the same thing. Then they get thirsty. Did you bring us out here to die? And then God says, no, we're going to have it strike the rock and water will come forth. And you go through and you just see over and over again situations that seem impossible. David fighting Goliath, a little boy with a slingshot, fighting a giant, the most fierce warrior. And what happens? He gets him. He kills him. Guts off his head. You see, passage after passage in which it seems impossible, and yet God does it. So Philip's there. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. And yet, God knows what's going to happen. In verse 8, it says, And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And I read that and I thought, Andrew almost had really great faith. Like, he almost did. You, you see it here where he's just going like, okay, well, what do we do? What do we do? Like, uh, I mean, you want to feed these people. Can we go? And so they're looking for food. He sees a little boy, and, and the boy's got five barley loaves, two fish. Andrew brings them. And, and you, you could think that Andrew might have been like, well, like, I mean, I've seen you, like, turn water into wine. Here's, here's five barley loaves. Here's two fish. You want to do something with this? You know, you could do it. But he doesn't finish with that. He finishes with, but what are they among so many? I got two little barley loaves, or five barley loaves and two fish. What's that going to do? And there's, there's times where we may think like that as well. What do I got? What are my resources? What do I have? This is what we got. But what is that? Well, I mean, I, that's not gonna. That's not gonna do it. I look and 
It's not just with our resources, but it's also just with our gifting. How am I going to do this? I'm not gifted enough. I can't do this. How is God going to ever use me in this way? I can't do that. And yet, when God calls us to do something, he enables us to do it. You have this little boy. I got, I got five barley loaves. I mean, it's like the, the poorest of the poor man's bread. Barley. No one wants barley loaves. I got, I got five barley loaves and I got two fish. My mom gave me for lunch. You can have that. And I look at that and I just think, like, that's me. That's, that's so many of us here. What, what do we have to offer him? God, I got like next to nothing. But if you want to use that, you can. When I started teaching Bible studies, it was the most fearful thing that anybody could have ever asked me to do. I mean, I would rather do anything than do a public speech, like just any kind of public speaking at all. I remember trying to show how to put together this paper binoculars to my English class in high school. And I was shaking, and my upper lip was like, you know, like just out of control. And all I could see is like everybody just laughing. I mean, everybody's laughing, all my friends. And I'm like, this is like a two-minute speech. All I got to do is just show them how to put these things together. And I'm like dying inside, and they're all laughing at me. And I, I remember going from there, teaching a high school Bible study, and seeing God just on my campus and seeing God just work miraculously. But then being asked by my youth pastor up in Yosemite, like, hey, can you teach a study on peace and joy? And our youth ministry will be there, and another church's youth ministry will be there. Can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, I could do that. And we're sitting around the fire breakfast, you know, just after breakfast, and we're there, and I'm supposed to teach these people, and I'm looking, and they look like, like a million people. There's probably like 75. But... I was shaking. I was just violently shaking. Just violent. I couldn't, my lip, you know. And I, I'm sitting there just going like, why, why, God, why? Like, please make it so it stops. Please make it so I stop doing this. Please. I know you can do it. Like, I mean, you could use this to just humiliate me, create just humility in me. But what good is that right now? Like, there's so many better ways that you could do that besides right now, like, I want them to be fed. I, I've studied for this, but I cannot do it. I know, like, I'm just going to, like, tremble. And I, I remember, like, they, they're doing worship. And I'm like, just keep going. Just keep going. I can't do it. I can't say anything. Like, if you make me start talking right now, it's going to be, I'll probably pass out. And, and, and I remember, like, they were doing, I, I thought that it was going to be the last worship song. And it was. And I looked up at, like, just half dome there. And I remember looking at it going, okay, like, if you made that, you can get me through this. Like, I know you can. And God just calmed me at that point, And I was able to do it. And I stopped shaking. And I look and he, he takes people who aren't gifted, aren't the most amazing people in and of themselves. And he gifts them and he does things to make it so that we could do it. He always does that. He's so faithful to take our weaknesses and through his strength make us strong. And he shows himself through our weaknesses. And you can look and say, I can't do this. I can't overcome that sin. Or I can't 
be that kind of husband or that kind of wife, or I'm struggling in this area at work, or how am I going to provide in this area? And we look at all the circumstances, and to be able to come to a place of, he's so much bigger than us. For us to just say, like, okay, like, I have five barley loaves and two fish, knowing that God can take that and just do incredible things. was reading the story of, of how... D.L. Moody got saved, and there was this man, Edward Kimball, who, who walked by the shoe shop that little, this little boy, D.L. Moody, was working in, and he wanted to share the gospel with him, but just trembled at the idea of going inside and sharing the gospel. And yet God had moved upon his heart to do it, He says, quote, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy. That that when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was. And when they learned, might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. And while I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. And then I, I, I had found that I had gone by the door, and I was determined to make a dash for it and to have it over at once. Here's this man. He, he's trembling at sharing the gospel with a little boy. And he goes, and he goes in there, and he shares the gospel with them. He says that, he says that they were limping words. I... I could never, I never could remember just what I did say. Something about Christ and his love, that was all. He admitted that it was, quote, a weak appeal. But Moody then and there gave his heart to the Christ. And the guy was used in just incredible ways over the United States and England over the second half of the, the, of the 20th century. He, he, he was just used in, in incredible ways. It was Moody Bible Institute. They they send out missionaries and pastors all over the place. He was used in incredible ways. But there was a man behind it that's like, I got five barley loaves and two fish. What are these? What are these? I, maybe I should go back some other time. Maybe I, and yet, the Lord worked and multiplied in incredible ways through this man's life. And for us as God's people to look and to think that way and look and say, he can do it. Like he can, he can do something miraculous. Well, verse 10 says, And Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And then we're told by Matthew, plus the women and children. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. There is food coming out. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to picture it in my head. I know there's 12 baskets at the end. I don't know, like, if they would just take a basket and give food out and it just never ran out or whether Jesus was like, you know, I don't know. what I mean, I'm trying to picture what it was like, but whatever it was, like, the people were amazed. I mean, you look, he's taken bread that had never grown in the field and he just creates it. He's taking fish that have never swam in the sea and he creates them out of nothing to where 
everybody's eating as much as they could possibly eat, as much as they wanted. But God just provided for it. Miraculously. Just like he did in the desert where he had manna come down from heaven. Just as he created water from a stone. You look and he's just providing. Isn't it nice to know there's nothing that's too hard for him? When, when we started this church, it was a little over nine years ago. And we're sitting there in my family room. And, and one of the men that was there is like, it's going to take about $30,000 to, to, to just get started. And he was like, Philip, 30000 I did the math. 200 denarii. About 30000 And I said, I, I remember in my heart, like, so what can we do for a whole less? Like, we're not going to have 30000 I mean, it was just a small group in my family room. And by the time the church started, just a couple months later, we had $30,000. I mean, almost exactly $30,000 to start the church. And you look and I remember being in seminary. Don't, why would anybody start a church in Southern California? It's crazy. You can't ever buy a property. You'll, you'll never. You'll always be in a school. And yet, we're here. We would be very happy to be in a school. But God saw fit to, to work and work miraculously to make it so that we could be here and we could buy this property and we could be here this morning. And you look and, and you just see God's hand. There's nothing that's too hard for him. So, he's providing all of the food. They were filled. He said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so nothing's lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and they, were, and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. This is him. I mean, how else do you explain it? He, he has multiplied the, the fish and the loaves. I, I wonder if I might see that little boy in heaven, if we might see him. I mean, this little boy just looking, saying, like, I got five barley loaves, two fish. And then he just watched, you know, whatever it is, loaves, loaves, loaves coming. And just, he had to be just watching, just going like, surely this has to be God. Well, it tells us in verse 15, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And we look at this and we see all that's taking place and they see it to where the people have been fed. I mean, they have been fed. Bed, probably some of the best bread they've ever had, if not the best bread they've ever had. They've seen the fish, and they're eating, and they've seen the miracles. They've seen all of the healings. They've seen the water turn to wine, and now they want to take him by force to make him king. He has to be the Messiah. He has to be our king. It's right at the time of the Passover, and the Passover to the Israelites was such a time in which there was incredible just patriotism that was there. And they're looking at saying, he is the one that's going to make it so that we are no longer under the Romans anymore. He's going to make it happen. Let's force him to be king. 
Well, as we go on in next week, you're going to see that, that Christ is the bread of life. Christ is the one and makes it so that not only are we satisfied, but we're satisfied to the full, and, and we'll study that next week. But I want to close with an uh, important passage that deals with this section. If you turn with me um, to Matthew 16, to verse 5. says this, Matthew 16, verse 5. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And so they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? We see that he feeds the 4,000 later on. But his response is, why, why is your faith so small? Do you do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and all the baskets that you took up at the end? Do you not remember that? And I, I think the Lord would speak to our hearts this morning, whether it be you're in a place where you're sitting there going, I got, I got five barley loaves and two fish. I, I don't. This is not the way that I planned. Or you're looking at just going, this is a terrible time for the car to break. Or this is a terrible time for this to happen. And you, you just, God would say, like, Don't, do you not remember the five barley loaves and the 5,000? Why is your faith so small right now? You could be in a place of, of I don't know how I'm going to get out of this circumstance. I don't know how things are going to be fixed here. I don't know how this relationship is going to be healed. I don't know how... Th- any of these things are going to happen. And, and, and God would say, oh, you have little faith. Do you not remember the five loaves and the 5,000? Do you not believe that he is sovereign and that he is in control? Do you not believe that he is good? Do you not believe that he is not only able to do these things, but he's also willing to do it? And there's times in our lives in which he takes things away, and yet he works it to mold us into who he's calling us to be. To, to, to be able to look and say, and we know. I can picture my little boy, Jonathan, memorizing this verse. And we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. And we know. And to be able to have circumstances in which we look and say, well, I don't want it this way, and I don't want it that way, and I thought it was going to be this way. Or I, I thought that we would be able to pay this off, and now I don't know if I'm going to have a job, and I don't know this, and I don't know that. And, and we could get ourselves into a place of just a frenzy. But to be able to have such a confidence in our God, to look and say, I know all things work together for good. 
I remembered the five loaves and the 5,000. I remember the Egyptians in the Red Sea. I remember a little boy in a giant. I remember a jawbone in a thousand enemies. I remember all of these things that are there throughout biblical history. Not only that, but I remember his faithfulness to me throughout the entirety of my life and what he has done for us to where I remember over and over again, we need to come to a place of God, cause our faith to be bigger, cause our eyes to see you, cause our minds to be in a place if we just trust you, we trust you. I mean, these guys had just watched Jesus heal all kinds of people, and they're like, oh, what is this going to do? Five loaves, two fish? They had just seen it. And likewise for us, you can be here this morning just like, yeah, you know, he can fix the car. But it's also possible for you to go out there and get a flat tire and be like, what now? What are we going to do now? I'm in a flat tire and mess up my rim. I mean, you, you have the ability to go right back to the same place if we're not in a place of constantly just being in awe of our Savior, of our God. Constantly going to his word and saying, look at what you have done. Look at who you are. Look at how you have worked. Look at how you provided manna or water or escape from the Egyptians or Bread for those that needed it. Fish that those, for those who needed it. Truly, God's word says, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing too hard for him. And this is the God in whom we serve. Can you pray with me? Lord God, um, if we came in through the doors of this church this morning... In such a place that you might have said, well, you have little faith. Um, I pray that we would leave this place remembering the five loaves and the 5,000. We'd be leaving this place remembering the way in which you have worked just powerfully in our lives. I pray, Lord, that our theology that tells us that you're sovereign and that you're in control and that you're good and that there's nothing too hard for you or there's no one that can stop your hand, there's no one that can thwart you, your purposes, Lord, that you work all things together for good. I pray that, that our theology that we know and we hold to and we believe that you would cause it to have feet, that when we walk and when we live and when we go about our lives and the things you're calling us to, that, Lord, that over and over again, there would be a peace that would pass understanding. There'd be such a great confidence in you that our lives would just be constant praise to you. And when you say something to Philip to test him, even though you know what you're going to do, I pray that we would not fail miserably in that test like he did, but that we would look and have just such great confidence in you and come to you in prayer and trust you for the outcome and be in a place where we have peace when the world would not have peace, Lord, that we would have peace pass understanding. Give us such great thoughts towards you that even when sickness comes that we don't get ourselves bound by statistics because you're a God that is so far and above statistics, Lord. It's not a matter of Eight months' wages couldn't cover this. Lord, you're, you're able to create things out of nothing. May our view of you be such that we just worship you. We're in awe of you. We're amazed at you. 
And we fall more deeply in love with you each and every day as we just look upon your word and see the God in whom we serve. We're thankful that as we started the service that where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. That we could have such great confidence that there's nothing that's too hard for you even in hurling our sins in the depths of the sea as a result of your work upon the cross. May this be a day that we just praise you for that and have such great confidence that our sins are removed and they've been replaced with your righteousness and that we serve a God who holds us in his hand and a Father who's greater than all that holds us in his hand. There's no one that can separate us from you. May your word create such confidence, Lord, that we rest in our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.